Welcome to Dig Deeper with Denny and Jade. Today's guest is a good friend of ours, Rai. Um, Rai is actually a banker and works in the markets at markets industry, is that what I say? Market sector, how do I say it? Yeah, the markets division. Markets division at ANZ. <laughs> uh, first question, Rai. Yep. What does that mean? Okay, so... Yeah, what before... do you do? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess before I just explain where I fit in, what the markets division is and where I fit into that, it's probably just good to run through how the bank as a whole set up mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all the clients we sort of service. Um, so if you think about banking, we're all customers of the bank, right? Yeah. And the type of banking we're familiar with would be retail banking. So really with our bank accounts, our mm-hmm. home loans, our credit mm-hmm. cards, personal loans, car loans. So that's the, the retail division of a bank. The next level up would be, for example, small business banking. So maybe you own a fish and chip shop or a small retail store. You might want a, a loan where you might offer your personal property a security. Um, you might need some sort of FPOS merchant services, yeah. that sort of thing. Then the next layer, layer up would be you know, corporate business banking, slightly more larger so like scale. Lo- yeah, like yeah, larger, larger scale, sophisticated mm-hmm. corporates. You know, now you may have some more Is, working capital to needs. Be, to, be, to be at that level, what's the threshold? Is it an income threshold or how does that work to get to that? Generally, to- we'd... Um, segmented based on in terms of the banking other businesses yeah. it would be segmented based on your total turnover right mm. so for example small businesses i'm not familiar with, with yeah. that area of the bank so much but maybe if you're turning over a few hundred grand to, mm-hmm. to a, mi- to a couple, few million yeah. bucks when you get to the corporate banking now you're talking about 50 to 100 mil okay. turnover right. type businesses <laughs> and now you're talking about businesses that have a bit more complex supply chains involved they might have more complex debt financing needs, they may mm-hmm. need some sort of business overdraft, they may have some exposure to foreign currencies, need hedging. So as you go up the customer segments, mm-hmm. there's a more and more financial services right. that those right. sort of clients so has, need. So has, has Virgin come to ANZ and asked them to settle their $100 billion worth of debt? Uh, can't answer that. Oi! <laughs> and I, honestly, I, I wouldn't yeah, even I know if that was happening. Yeah, but um, is that the kind of thing, like obviously maybe not that, yeah, that, so that level? At Vir- so Virgin, the, the last layer I was going to mention mm-hmm. is what's called institutional banking. So mm-hmm. that's really banking, you know, multinational corporations. Universities? Um, I think, yeah, universities would mm-hmm. fit into that segment, large mining companies, um, right. aviation companies, other financial services firms, big global manufacturing and companies that have operations in Australia. Uh, so the relationships with all those sort of clients is managed within the institutional bank. And then each of the financing financial needs that that customer has would be serviced by what's called product specializations within the institutional bank. Sounds really complicated and complex. Yeah. So for example, there'll be one team that has a special, in terms of the product side of things, there'll be a specialized lending team that would be, have expertise. And if one business is buying another, you know, that's, that's that's called called a leverage buyout where they Mm. might borrow a large sum of money to buy another firm and they'll put that debt onto the balance sheet of the firm that they're buying. Wow. So Holy that, that, crap. That, that's a complex style of lending. So there's a specialist team that looks after that. You might have an oil. So is that kind of like free money though? Well, it, it, it's debt. So yeah, right. mm-hmm. really any capital a business raises, mm-hmm. they either raise equity yeah. or various forms of debt. At the end of the day, it's all very complex, but mm-hmm. all types of capital ultimately fit into those two brackets equity or debt equity or debt yeah. but then within <clears throat> debt there's lots of different types there's 
secured, unsecured. There's debt that ranks more senior in a company. If they were to default, who gets repaid first? Mm. That's where it starts to get quite complex. So then where I sit is an area called markets. So markets deals with a number of things. So um, there's a sales and trading function. So if you need to enter into some sort of contract to, to hedge interest rate risk or foreign currency risk, there's a sales and trading function that looks after the, the needs of Jeez. those so, businesses when it comes to that sort of thing. Mm. So for example, you might be a, a business that imports, I don't know, some sort of parts from South Korea as part of manufacturing something in Australia. Yep. And you want to lock in the exchange rate between ourselves and South Korea, yep. or call it Japan, because yep. I'm more familiar with the currency. If you want to, and you might want to lock in the Aussie versus the yen for a period mm. of time. So there'll be a team at ANZ that specialises in being able to facilitate no, negotiate you, that. you hedging right. that. And, wow. and, the, and there'll be a fee because you'll enter into a contract with the bank to lock in that rate for you. And then the bank will take on that currency risk and then the bank re-hedges itself it's by like facing a, It's other. like a whole other world. It sounds it like it, yeah. yeah. It's not yeah. like the bank in that <laughs> I would ever like, know about in terms of I know. Get, get, get a loan. And this was exactly Get a my, small business loan. Well, this is get a car loan. Well, just, not even loans. When I think of a bank, I just think about this like cement building that just kind of holds everyone's money. And that's it. Yeah, like, I mean, I was, I, I studied, you know, maths and economics at uni and spent four years doing my degree and got this graduate role yeah. with the bank. But then I was quite naive. My first day in the bank, I, it was only when I went onto the staff page and it, it came up with a, a page that showed all the divisions of the bank. And you were like, like what? wow, what do they do? What did they yeah. do? What do they do? So what is it about that sector that you're in now? In the, in the market? And, I, and I haven't even got to what actually oh, I do in that sector. <laughs> I, was oh. just, I was just trying to paint a picture yeah, of right, where yeah, everything sorry. fits. My apologies. So then there's another section within markets called capital markets. Mm-hmm. So capital markets deals with business or institutional clients and them raising new equity or new debt. Yeah. So there's a special equity capital markets team. I'm not a part of that. Within the debt capital markets team, there's an area called structured finance and securitization. And that's a niche type of debt financing that my team provides. Okay, so in layman terms. So the area I work in, is, it's called securitization. Right. But so what I, does that mean though? So what does like, that mean? What do you mean? Like, is it securing markets? Is it securing money? Is it securing equity? Like. So what it is securing is pools of assets. So what best way to explain what securitization is, it actually got a, quite a dirty word during the GFC. Yeah. So the way you get a, a mortgage during the subprime crisis yeah. in America, this is very speaking very generally, yeah. mm. is first you'd speak to a broker. Yeah. yeah. And then the broker would say, yeah, property market's quite hot, things are good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, there's definitely a mortgage product for you. Leave it with me. They'll then um, send the application to a lender the lender says, all right, approved. And back at, in America, it was, you know, you could Crazy, borrow 100% yeah. L, wow. LDR, no down payment. The loan contracts had these concepts of adjustable rates where, you know, you could be unemployed, no income, but they'll say, you know, you'll have a, a, a holiday interest rate for a while, which is quite low, and then mm-hmm. down the track, it's going to adjust and go up. Yeah. But you know what? Because our property market's so hot, you'll be okay. You would have built up all this equity in your property, yeah. and then you're going to refinance that right. money into a new one, and you get a new holiday period, and you're just making money without a job. Wow. So, this created this American property dream where yeah. people were having like eight anyway, houses. Yeah. 
What's that? What's the movie where they the Big Short? The Big Short, so where yeah. the stripper had like ten houses. That's exactly yeah. it. So the Big Short's a, a great movie to get a bit of a glimpse into what securitization is. And there's one scene in the in the movie where they actually go to the American Securitization Conference. Um, yes, I see. And I, I go to the equivalent conference that we have in Sydney. Um, but the whole reason the American went down the, that path of underwriting racier and racier subprime mortgages is because in terms of the way the risk was transferred through that economy, the broker would face the customer, then that, that mortgage would get underwritten by a lender, then that lender would sell that loan onto an investment bank, the investment banks were then packaging bundles and bundles of loans into investment products called mortgage-backed securities, mm -hmm. and then these mortgage-backed securities were sold to pension funds, to hedge funds, asset managers, other banks. So no one really had any responsibility or liability over them in the end. Yeah, so and that's exactly right. So the, the people that were closest to the borrower's credit profile were not actually end, ending up holding any of the credit risk. It was all being sold along the way. Fire, so yeah. you've got these investors that are buying these bonds that are rated AAA, they pass these rating agency assessments, and they're getting paid, you know, quite a healthy yield compared to what other AAA securities offer. Yeah. And I think this is great. But then eventually, that process can only continue if there's more new mortgages being underwritten. So that, that's why the credit standards in terms of what was being underwritten at, at the start of that process deteriorated. And then meanwhile, some investment banks were even more clever and said, all right, so... One of these deals might have some AAA mortgage-backed securities and then there'll be a, a layer that's below that that might be triple B and then another layer below that that's single B rated mm -hmm. because as mortgages start incurring defaults, yeah. the lower rated yeah, um, the lower rated securities would take the, the loss first. Yeah. So they get paid a higher yield, but they're taking more risk. And then Wall Street said, what if we bundled together a lot of the double B and triple B stuff, pulled them together and re-sliced those up into a into a new investment product. Sounds so Jeez. confusing, man. I know. Yeah. And then Sounds so confusing. It, it was confusing because then they would then... So is that what you're doing now, right? Definitely not. <laughs> I'm going to explain exactly why our market never incurred what happened okay. in America, but the concept is, is the same. So in Australia, this form of... Um, this process actually forms an important source of funding for a lot of financial institutions. Um, so... So the source, you mean home, home lending, right? Yeah, so... Yeah. It, Think of if you're a small bank in Australia, I'm not going to name any yeah. of our specific clients, but yeah. say, you're a, say you're a bank in Australia, your main source of funding is deposits from customers just having transaction accounts. Mm -hmm. You might have some deposits from corporate and institutional customers as well. You also raise money in what's called the bond market, which is um, just basically issuing debt, which is unsecured. So that, that, that type of debt ranks below customer deposits typically um, and to further diversify the sources of funding you have often banks will also engage in this process of securitization where um, they might take a pool of mortgages that they've already written and then sell bonds to investors that are backed by those mortgages and and through that process they've raised new funding Wow! and it's just an important source of Funding so, diversification for them. And so, so that, and the difference in Australia is typically the the these clients who are using this market to borrow, they're not completely transferring the risk of mortgages all the way through. 
one, it's only a small component component of their overall balance sheet mm-hmm. of mortgages that they're actually pulling together and selling this way. Um, so they're not just wiping their hands clean mm-hmm. of the risk. And often in those deals, they'll often have retain some share in that transaction itself where if, the, if that pool of loans starts taking losses, they have a liability in that. They, well. they will have skin in the game, so to speak. So have we got to the point where that's what you do? Yes, that is right. what I do. Sorry, I that, is long-winded. So that is the securitization. Yes. Right, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And then in terms of the, the types of clients we work with, it's it's it can be other financial institutions. Mm-hmm. We also have clients who are um, global auto manufacturing companies. So yeah. a lot of the big name, for example, the, all the German auto manufacturers, yeah. they would have um, what's called a captive finance business. Yeah. Where when you buy fair branded vehicles, yeah, right. when you yeah. buy um, vehicles that from that specific brand, they'll also offer their own financing with yeah. it. Mm. One and of so, the, and so they run that through one of one of the means that by which they can raise the funding to do that. It's not their only source of funding. They're they're global players. They have lots of sources of funding. But one important one for them is by securitizing the car loans. Right. So basically, any pool of assets that generates a stable future cash flow. So, for example, let's say it's, I don't know, whatever German car company it is. Let's say it's Holden. Holden's gone, so we're not going to get in trouble there. Mm. So, Holden sells, let's, let's say, for example, 15 cars on lease. Yep. They can bundle all that all those 15 leases, Yep. go to Bank X and say, hey, man, we've got these 15 leases secured for the next five, six years. Mm-hmm. These are the payments. How much are you going to pay us for them? Is that what happens? So, the, the bank is not buying those right. leases from that entity, what's yeah. happening is practically there should be thousands of leases involved. Yeah. Those mm-hmm. thousands of leases get sold into what's called a special purpose trust. So that is a that is a trust that's specifically set up to own the economic rights in those leases. But for what purposes? So that special purpose vehicle or trust, that is the entity that borrows money yeah. from investors. So by issuing oh, bonds. based on And it'd be much easier, if I could draw you guys a picture, it'd be much easier. So first, that trust would, would issue bonds in return for cash. Right. That cash would then be used to acquire the Question leases. for you, actually. What is bonds? Because I've been hearing, like, recently with all this, shit go, yeah. with all this stuff going on, like, people, are, for example, either buy in US or, like, mm. I, I think recently uh, the Australian Federal Reserve or Australian government raised $34 billion by selling bonds. Yes. Yeah, so what, what does that for mean? Example, this, so... Quite simply, a bond is just a... Should I be buying some? <laughs> the reason bonds are not as well known by yeah. um, most of us, and until I was working in specifically in the capital markets area of you know, ANZ, I wasn't that familiar with the bond market either. And the reason for that is the bond market is generally not open to retail investors. It's generally restricted to wholesale investors. And the reason is... For regulatory reasons, if you sell to retail investors, there's much more onerous disclosure requirements that right. you have to go through. So, so they prefer to keep it dark and murky. Well, it's not dark and murky <laughs> in that. Well, the bond market is actually, it's a lot safer than, yeah. funnily enough, it's a lot safer and more stable than the share market. Well, it's because you're buying government money, right? Well, the bond market, it's not just, the, gon, but the bond market could be government bonds, but yeah. it could also be corporate bonds. So it's in the news this week that Woolworths borrowed a billion dollars in the bond market. And all a bond is, is basically a security where if I issue you a bond, all it will say is that Rye um, 
is borrowing $100 from Denny and he promises to pay Denny a coupon of 4% per annum for a certain period of time. Yeah, it's just a, it's just it's basically a simple vanilla. So debt. A, a bond is a way for big institutions to borrow money and have it, it secured. It's, it's and a way the person given the money gets a return on that investment. Yeah, they're borrowing money unless the bank company goes bankrupt. And they're borrowing money. money. So if you think about how corporations can borrow money, they can take out a loan from a bank. Yeah, or they can issue bonds, which are tradable securities. And therefore, can be bought from superannuation funds, asset managers, right, other banks. So, oh. so, so I'm worse. I'm yep. trying to raise capital. I want to raise a billion dollars in capital. Yep. So I go to you, right, and say, "Hey, right, you want to buy a bond f- from me? Yep. So give way, me a billion dollars for it." So the way it would actually work is, you would go to your banking partners, yeah, and say, "Hey, I'm going to give give you guys the job of helping me raise a billion dollars in the capital markets." So then the banks that you bring together to perform that role. They'd be called the lead managers of your transaction. Mm-hmm. And then they would publicly make an announcement that Denny, Denny, PT, yeah. Denny PTY Limited is wants to engage investors for a corporate bond transaction. And they would then set up oh meetings. They would set up meetings between you and the various investors. Um, and, and so then, in and those meetings, I would approve my you, assets. Yeah, everything. you would just share your corporate story, how the business is performing. Is that it? Well, <laughs> well, you are asking investors to stump up a billion dollars, so you you need yeah. It. But for, for me, for me to get a home loan, man, they go through everything. They go through my expenses. They go through my whole history. You're telling me these corporates go to the bank, they have a meeting, and say, "Hey guys, no, no, no. this is my vision, <laughs> no, right?" I'm sure it's a lot more complicated. I, mean, I don't know that. I mean, it sounds like no, no, it's just relationships. It's not just a handshake, and you, and you get the. <laughs> no. you hey get man, the here's, a, here's a drink. Let's go party, and I'll give you a billion dollars. <laughs> There'd be a lot more bonds floating around if it was that easy. No, it's more you would have to build a relationship with investors. The banks would be the intermediaries that help you do that. But the investors will go through everything about your credit worthiness. Of course, they, they check if it's also worth. also the rating agencies would be involved to to confirm that you're rated X Y Z triple A double A. Not many corporates are rated triple A, but but what do you a, get in exchange? Like so. The investors, uh, you share your vision, and the investors say, "Okay, yeah, sure, we'll give you the billion dollars." What do they get in return? I know they get bonds, but what does that mean? Like, so they're, are they they're getting, getting they're getting a yield. So, for example, are in- they getting interest? Yeah, in- exactly. Like interest, they get yeah. So, okay. So it's called they're basically getting a, a fixed income. Right. So if you think about it, if they buy a hundred dollars of bonds, yeah, and Denny and that bond says that Denny must pay an annual coupon to them of 4%, yeah. and then he has to repay them back in five years. Yeah. They know that every year, did I say 4%? Yeah. They yeah. know every year, every year he's paying, every year he's got to pay $4, and then at the end of the predefined term, yeah. let's call it's it five years, back. he's got to pay the $400 back. Right. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. So, okay, that makes sense. So why would a company go for a bond? Would they be going, like, let's say, for example, Woolworths, they want a billion dollars. They would obviously be looking to invest a billion dollars into their, either their infrastructure or whatever it is or mm-hmm. whatever to improve their bottom line, improve their revenue streams. I'm assuming they have to pay that back eventually at some point. Yep. Yeah? So it's almost... So that's, that's the difference between debt and equity. So when you raise money in the share market... You're raising capital. That's equity, that, right? It's direct equity on your, yeah. your balance sheet. And the benefit of equity is there's no promise to those investors that yeah. they ever have to get paid a certain return. 
there's no promise that they ever have to get that money repaid in any specified period of time. The problem with that though is, people are only going to invest in equity if they ex- if they see a significant upside yeah. to their investment. So um, they want to be convinced that you're going to generate enough cash flow to pay a decent dividend to them in the future, or save future growth, or that you're going to you're going to grow your equity base yeah. organically because you're going to be so profitable. Um, whereas debt is much cheaper in that it's you're not giving away ownership in the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're just promising a certain <coughs> so you fixed can, income you return. can guarantee what return you have to pay back basically for you as a company. So so the main benefit is it it provides you what's called leverage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So all assets that a business has has can be in accounting. If you think about it, every asset that you own can either be funded using borrowed money, debt, or your own equity. Right. So the more you fund your growth by issuing new equity, the more you dilute the existing shareholders, for example, the more, if you're the owner of a business, say your own business, and you wanted to, to grow, and you had to raise capital, and you didn't have your own capital to, to deploy. You have to get capital. You, you, your, your temptation might be to actually borrow debt, because mm-hmm. then you retain your 100% shareholding in mm-hmm. your business versus issue shares to me and yeah. make me a 50% Ooh. shareholder in your business. Right. And if I become 50% shareholder in your business, um, I don't have any, I'm not promised that I will get that money back yeah. or a certain You're return. You're taking on the same risk But as I have I have 50% right to any profits that yeah. you generate in yeah. the future. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. So if you think about... Um, Very complicated. But if you think about debt and equity, so... Well, that when he broke it down right at the end, that, that, that sounds a lot, a lot simpler, especially <laughs> in terms of the bond stuff. I never, because mm. there's so many terms, right? Yeah. Mm. You got bonds. I want to ask you about what shorting the market means. Yep. What ETFs are. Yep. Like, and there's probably a million other terms, but those are the ones that I mm. like, I'm aware of. Yep. Yeah. But just on, on this concept of how debt provides, why it's called leverage. A really good example to understand that is even with a home loan. So, say you're buying. A house for a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Practically, what happens is you need twenty dollars deposit, and you borrow eighty. Right? That's how you bought a hundred dollar house mm-hmm. using twenty dollars of your own capital. If that house price goes up ten percent, that hundred dollar house is now worth one hundred and ten. Mm-hmm. The debt that you have to repay on that house hasn't it's changed. Still it's still eighty. Yeah. Right. You are now thirty dollars <laughs> equity in that property. Yeah. If you sell it today, you repay your eighty dollars of debt. And you make ten, you've made ten. You've made ten dollars yeah. on twenty. So that that's why, in a market, in a property market that's rising, and in my personal view, the reason people have been so attracted to property in Australia Seems is that there's a view that one the property market is going to keep going up, and just by the nature of the fact that you're borrowing eighty percent of the value of the asset, when it does go up in value, you've, you've leveraged up your return so much more. Yeah. Right. So you you've made ten dollars on a twenty dollars capital investment you made 50 percent mm. which but, is pretty good which is outstanding <laughs> yay <laughs> so like, yeah if you just if you only invested that 20 dollars only into an asset that's worth 20 dollars yeah. and it goes up 10 percent you've made two dollars yeah you've yeah. earned 10 percent. so by borrowing 80 percent of the value of the house you've ended up with five times the return yeah. in that example but leverage goes both ways it also means that when the value of the asset Drops by ten percent, yeah. or, or, or by twenty percent. In that scenario, you've actually you sell the house. You've lost all of the capital that you yeah. 
Because if that twenty dollars was your entire life savings, you've taken it. You've basically taken this leverage bet on one asset, and in in the sad scenario that the market's down twenty percent, you've you've lost all of it. Yeah. Only if you sell. Yeah. Only if you sell. Yeah. 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 That's when you just got to wait and play. And if you're buying a house to live in, then. You could argue that yeah. it doesn't matter, but even if it's even if it's an investment, and if you've got the right area, sometimes you just got to wait. Yeah, and if, I think some if of the, you can hold out, some of the growth that yeah. like you and I have seen in our gener- in particularly our generation, mm. like the growth that we saw in the early like and mid two thousands of thirty and forty percent of properties, probably not going to happen for a long time again. Mm. Yeah, well, it feels especially the way things are yeah. today. But what about the like the interest component? So going back to the hundred dollar example, yeah. When you borrow the eighty dollars, yeah. So there's quite statistic. Yeah. Do you have to service the the interest expense on that? Mm. So even if your the value of your hundred dollar house goes up by ten percent, mm-hmm. have you really made that ten dollars? Because you also have to pay interest on that eighty dollars. Mm. Well, I guess I it, it depends on the time get. frame over which that 10% gain has happened. But if it went up 10% in one year, that would be really So for example, (laughs) you borrow $80 and the interest rate on that at the moment would be about 2%, 3%. So you paid $2 of interest, Mm. but you made $10 of capital. So you're you're still well ahead. That's true. Well, the next thing that, one of the points that you'd like to to share, and I think it's something I'd like to talk about as well, Mm was capitalism or free market capitalism versus socialism yep so like obviously based where we live and work you and i Mm -hmm. particularly in in a city or you know that that eastern suburb part of sydney there's a lot of like socialism talk there is what is Is your yeah (laughs) yeah people want the government to do everything in eastern sydney well you know the area that i'm based in Oh, okay. yeah. It has been on the rise. I've yeah. felt the same thing in the last few years that people feel a bit disgruntled or mm-hmm. there's this perception that there's few winners and more people are losing yeah. or being left behind and therefore the answer is this dramatically alternative See, economic model, which yeah. is socialism. I mean, personally, I flat out disagree and I could talk for hours in terms of <laughs> why that's the case. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Well, well, wait, hang on. Before rise shares, so I don't understand... I'm going to call this politics, even though you mm. said economics. Mm. So you, you said the socialism economic model, but is it just an economic model? Is it, isn't it well, also it becomes, like it becomes a, a very political model because... Yeah, and, and like, I think, like, based on my experience, which is like zero, when I hear people who are quite, um, you know, pro-socialism, it's more, it sounds to me like it's more about morality and their just their views and their opinions like is it really just economics and yeah. politics or i, I is do it... think that some of the people that promote it haven't fully understood map, all of the mapped aspects. out exactly how you yeah. implement that type of mm. system or what they think of in their head of socialism really isn't so a lot of people mm. will talk about socialism but then talk about some of the scandinavian countries as being a benchmark on how to live but they're not socialist countries they're predominantly free market hmm. capitalist societies with a bit more government intervention, much higher progressive taxes. Mm-hmm. And they're able to make it work for, for those countries because yeah. of their, mm. they've got smaller, more homogenous populations. They're quite rich in a lot of resources. So it's a little bit easy to run 
a government agenda, I think, of higher taxation, spread it through the community. Yeah. So is it equally. almost like a combination of the two? Yeah. Is that kind of what, what's I think, happening in, in yeah. the Scandi countries? Exactly. I yeah, think they're predominantly a free market economy with more mm. government assistance compared to what you would see in the US, for example. Yeah. And I think the US is held up as this poster boy for, for capitalism and you can see why because it feels like, well, there's a perception that everything there's so much more market and business driven to the point that certain outcomes that, you know, the whole community should have the benefit of, such as healthcare or education, it's not so equally accessible as it is for, for us, for example. Mm. So walk us through the capitalism economic model mm. versus the socialist economic model. Yeah. Or socialism, I don't know what to say. Yeah. So the, the simplest way to, I guess, <clears throat> picture a free market capitalist society is, to me, it's, it's, it's individual freedom. So mm -hmm. the government doesn't decide, you know, what gets produced and how much of it gets produced. There's freedom of enterprise. People can start businesses. They can... Capitalism means you have to create something of value that other people need mm -hmm. and they'll pay for it. You have an incentive to do that because you can realize profit and wealth for yourself. And if it succeeds, it creates employment opportunities. It creates goods that the other world, rest of the world will demand, etc. It's basically allowing the market to determine what's required, what's happening yeah. in the world. And so socialism would be... Socialism, the purely post... So, so the, the purest form of socialism would be the government says we're going to be entirely self-sufficient as a nation. And there's a lot of talk about that now with coronavirus. Mm -hmm. and This is something that you and I are debating. We, we have been. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting because yeah. I think, you know, we're now dealing with this once in a hundred year event and people are starting to look around and point the fingers and say, oh, mm. if we didn't have this globalized model, we wouldn't be hurting as much now. But then I argue if we didn't have this highly complex globalized free market system, we wouldn't have generated all this wealth and standard of living right. that we're enjoying True. today in the first place. And probably we wouldn't be able to support the the nation in the way that we are able to support people. Is that right? Like right. like through like Do you mean from the, a government point of view in terms yeah. of what's been happening? Yeah. Right. Payouts, job keeper, all that exactly. kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean the few examples of socialist countries that exist in the world. I mean, yeah. North Korea is one, Venezuela is one. These aren't North Korea is socialist. Yeah, I mean... I thought they were... Um, dictator. But th this is the other But the problem. government looks after everything. I mean, ideally, okay. socialism... Allegedly. Has, ideally, socialism has this idea that... In Venice, they're both basket cases of countries, mm, though. Like, the problem is, you need the government to have full control in socialism as to rationing out mm. all goods and services to the entire population. And inevitably, if you so, leave one group of people in government in charge of the in decisions in terms of what the entire economy needs, they're never going to get it perfectly right. Mm. They're going to decide how much milk we need, how much clothing we need to produce, how many cars we need to produce. And so the, the, the truest form of socialism yeah. is us as the population, given the government control to tell us what we need and when we need it. I think so, yeah. Right. That's my interpretation. So and, people that are saying... And, 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 and our labour doesn't belong yeah. to ourselves. Our labour belongs to, to the, state. The, the state. And then the state uses our labour to produce 
the goods right. and services that they think all the people need, and then it's shared equally amongst <laughs> so all of us. everyone works for the government, essentially. Or everyone works for everyone the, else. Conceptually, kind of. I think we all work for each other, but right. there's, there's no individual freedom of, I've got this really good idea that I can I can't turn, go do that. I've got no incentive Ooh. that I can... There's, wanna, there's a reason. I want to start making baseball caps, and the government goes, well, look, we already make hats for people, so you don't <laughs> need to fucking do that, stupid. Yeah. Is that how it goes? Yeah. Yeah? Or I want to start making these fancy watches. I would argue in a pure... And the government set. goes, fuck but then, that. But then, how do you evolve? How do you, you create? How do you well, get better? If how you do look, you progress? If you, look at, if you look at Venezuela, it's a basket case. If you look at North Korea, they can't feed themselves. Like, that's what... Mm. Socialism at its truest form sounds beautiful, but when it's ever been tried to implement it, has it ever worked anywhere? Not as far as I know, no. Has it ever worked without millions it's of people mo- dying? It's <laughs> monumental. In its worst, it has done that in yeah. the Soviet Union and arguably... Who, who knows what happens socialism? In... Look, it's the, 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 the thought of socialism is that everyone's cared for, basically, correct? Mm. That's the thought of it. I feel, in terms of like what we have in Australia... It's probably the most socialism-based capitalism you want to get to. Like, everyone is... We do have a very good safety net, as we've seen. Mm. Okay, we've yeah. seen the safety net. Yeah. And so I think Australia is probably a really good example of a the closest balance you want to get between capitalism and socialism, in my opinion, especially mm. as a business owner. Like, that's how I feel about it. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, if you benchmark our, benchmark our standard of living and safety nets against the rest of the world... I think we've it's, got a lot to be. We've good. got a lot to be quite but, blessed but, about. But also not just that, but also our ability to earn more money as well. Yeah. If we if we want to have an idea and grow a business, we have that ability yeah, to there, do that. There's, there's not a lot getting in your way there. No. Whereas I can guarantee there's no equivalent of Denny Curtis in North Korea. Yeah. Who's, <laughs> who's opening any fitness studios yeah. anywhere? And that's why I think amongst this coronavirus, there's a temptation to think. Um, you know, that would be the right type of model. Yeah. Imagine a scenario where you had to make Australia totally self-sufficient without any trade with the rest of the world. But look, hang look on. Right. This, hang is where on. We disagree. this is where you lose me, right? Because what's, what is wrong with being self-sufficient? Can you not, are you saying that you can't have capitalism? Can I answer that a little bit? With, with self-sufficiency? Look, I'm going to chat... It depends what you mean by self-sufficient. Yeah. Like, are you saying self-sufficient to the point that everything that we need is produced... Not everything the that we need, but... Um, so, in other words, instead of... Like, so, in, 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 instead of relying on 60% of what we need coming from abroad, yep. we change the ratio so that it's only 30%. The, the challenge... So it's just the less. problem is, it doesn't... It, for a lot of the, those type of goods and services, it probably doesn't make business sense to set up the production and manufacturing of those things in Australia. So if there's no incentive for those businesses to set up the operations here to do that... To profit, you mean? Then, yes. And part of the reason for that is population of 25 million people setting up some elaborate, mm. for example, clothing. Yeah. It is not going to be cost Because we don't have that many people. Well, yeah, and, and the cost of labor is expensive. Yeah. And Coming back to that point, if you are completely self-sufficient, you can't actually grow your economy. So the reason why the global economy is such a good thing is that it allows you to get funds from all different countries, which mm-hmm. allows you to grow the money that's in your country. Mm. That's why tourism is such a big industry. 
because tourism is literally getting money from America or Europe or whatever. And Their money is actually bringing into your country. Yeah. So you're actually mm. growing your, your, your bank account, basically. Mm. Is that correct, right? Yeah, I think that's, it makes a lot of sense. However, <laughs> yes. the thing that you and I were actually discussing earlier today, right, yeah. was about our relationship with China, Yeah. right? So my, my feeling of that at the moment, particularly, right, mm-hmm. if you'd asked me eight months ago, I'd mm. be a little bit different. But right now, I feel like the impact that it's had on our economy, we've seen how reliant we are. Yep. And now we're dealing with China being aggressive in, the, in their trade posture with us and, and, and making declarations of fear-mongering, mm. basically. And, I, and my, my feelings of that is, well, hey, China, you, I, I actually genuinely feel that China need us a lot in terms of our minerals. We're a stable source of minerals. We're a stable source of food supply. And I think if they want to play those games, there's other places where we can sell our shit. We might have to shrink a little bit, but fuck, we're going to we're going to shrink ten percent of GDP anyway. Yeah, and I would argue that if you cut ties with them altogether, mm-hmm. our GDP would shrink by even more. So, for I example, but I'm not suggesting that. For example, iron ore, your biggest export markets for something like iron ore yeah, will, will be the countries that are going through the most dramatic growth, growth and industrialization. Yep. Right. At the moment, that's going to be. China, India, Vietnam, those sorts of countries, right? Yeah, but we're not going to give up on, on India and Vietnam. Okay, but... <laughs> I'm saying... You're talking about completely cutting trade ties with the second biggest economy in the world. I might... Who has a lot more influence and has more persuasion over other countries as well. Mm-hmm. And it could actually... But why do, they have, why do they have that influence and, and, and that power, do you think? Well, I think... Th- the numbers don't lie. In terms I, I, of, I, you're I, an economy think, of one point three billion people. I think we've given them that power because we've given that leverage over collectively, perhaps because they because we've allowed them to take so much of our economy that we've allowed them to purchase so much of but our so business. This is where I don't think anywhere near the same as you in terms yeah. of this us and them sort of mentality because yeah. it sounds mm. as if they've gained something at the expense of us or we're trying to gain mm. something at the expense of them. The way the world mm. has shifted the last thirty years, a lot of supply chains are now so globally distributed all countries are basically taking Something. advantage of what the skills and advantages they have and leveraging those and it's all coming together in terms of the way global commerce is done i think i am taking for example a samsung phone you might have one component that's manufactured in this country yeah. mm-hmm. that's where they have some sort of comparative comparative advantage or niche and then you might get this component from from china and then yeah. another factory that puts it all together and then exports it you're right. I think I'm coming from so an ego. Too I think I'm to... coming from an ego point of view, mm. and I don't like the fact that we allow such a strong nation, such as China, a strong mm. trading partner, yeah, uh, someone that we've been dealing with for the last 30, 40 years. We've helped their nation grow mm-hmm. by supplying them with these minerals. Yes, they've helped our. our, we, our we we have benefited massively, but so together. have they. Mm. So no, have they. But this is my point. As, as in, we grow together, and I also think that when you unwind the process, we also. Collapse together. That's where I disagree reason. a little bit because I think there's so many other avenues that we can go. I, I still think we shrink. Mm. I, th- I still think we shrink no matter what. But my point is, why do we want to have this one nation with so much leverage over us? Mm. That's my thinking. I think, I think... Well, I'm just saying there's a bit more tact in terms of the way that we could approach that yeah, 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 conversation. Yeah. Like. But I, and I think where, like, what you've said, Denny, about... Maybe it is just like an ego thing. Yeah. And I think where it's kind of struck the nerve in a lot of people is that they have threatened us. 
You know, mm. they have said, mm -hmm. well, how about if we just Cut stop buying your wine and well, stop eating Australian beef? You know, they, it's almost like... And this the, is this is what a trade, like a really pity you know this is what a trade war really is it's, it's yeah. these back and forth threats where ultimately both parties are negatively yeah. Yeah. affected by it and it's almost as if well who blinks first yeah. type of thing and, well, to, and to me it's really political point scoring well I, I try to just think about what is the net most beneficial outcome for for, for so, the yeah, economy you're, you're thinking and let's take the emotion and politics out you're of thinking it. as yeah. a pure banker how do i make as much fucking money as possible <laughs> that's not how i'm motivated <laughs> you are, I'm, I'm, I'm not very, saying i'm, I'm not a very ethical heart in no no thinking. i'm not saying i'm not saying that's your motivation <laughs> but your way of thinking right now is that you are a banker you, you see the global market you, you see this yeah, impact. I'm thinking, well, whereas what, for what, me what? whereas for me i'm not thinking next week because what i'm thinking this has already forced us to change everything okay mm. So what I'm thinking about now is where do, we, where do we want to be in the next 20, 50 years? And now to me, I want to be in a position where we're not reliant on a rogue nation threatening us for our future. Mm. And right now we're in a position where, fuck, we should rethink everything about what we thought was how it should be. That's, that's where I'm at. I'm not mm. thinking about my profits and my return mm. for the next 12 months. I'm like, in 20, 50 years when I have kids... Do I want them going through this process or do I want us to be so reliant on China? Are you or talking any about, nation? So you're talking about in 50 years if we're hit with another pandemic scenario or you're just no, talking about I'm talking in about in, in general. Yeah. I think it benefits everyone to broaden our trading partners and not rely so solely on one. And if no, that so means like, that we should... I'm not going to disagree with that. It makes that's, sense to have a relationship with a broad range of countries. Mm. And, and that's that's what I'm, that's that's where my thinking comes from. Yeah. Diversify the portfolio. It's but like, also, we've probably accelerated yeah, to a certain extent. But we've more, been able to accelerate our growth by also exporting to where growth is happening elsewhere in the right. world. So when China's going through this rampant development phase, it we, was heavily concentrated. We have, we have something valuable that helps them on that journey. Yeah. We've generated we've generated massive huge massive amount of wealth here as well oh, through, through that journey. We've had twenty years of growth. Mm. Unprecedented. No country in the world has had that. Mm. And, a, and a huge part of that is thanks to China. Mm. But also now, we're also almost in the Great Depression era, partly <laughs> thanks to our eco economic relationship with China, okay? because mm. because the world's fucked, particularly our economic relationship with China. We're seeing a big crash in that as well. I don't know. So you're, you're... I guess you have to take the, the, the bad with the good as well, though. Yeah, you but know? do you want to be... So you're saying if we do you do want to be, a, do you want to have the ability to be threatened? Do you want, like, if trying to threaten us, not just threaten us now, it's it's our future that they're threatening. But this current contraction that's happening, you're saying that if the pandemic happened, but we were not so reliant on them as an importer of our goods, that the impact would be less on us. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying the pandemic has highlighted how reliant we are on China how much they can manipulate our personal politics in our country because of that and mm -hmm. how much we have to bend over for them. And I think we're in a position now where we've seen pretty much the worst case that can happen to our country economically. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to rethink everything and not just be not not just go back into habits and be like, oh China's there, let's just go back to them because yeah. they're gonna pay us. Fuck it. No, no, I, I agree that's that's, that's, what, that's yeah. what I'm thinking. I agree that that would yeah. be a lazy and short-sighted approach. Yes, that's to, right. To just bank on one counterparty nation always being there to buy the lion's share of what you have to export. You need to 
you need to build relationships with a whole range of Lots countries. Of yeah. And there's countries that but, need us. But this is where, for example, a lot of people are going anti-globalization and talking about bringing everything in South. And, I, and I'm saying no. re- reconnect and, <laughs> and reconnect and more broadly. To be honest, prior to you actually having this chat with me, I was thinking very much like we should be within. Yeah. yeah. And obviously understand a bit more where you're coming from. I can I can see... Yeah. And I understand mm. the benefits. I always have. Mm. But... But what I like to map out is, say we did have to bring it in, we need to work out, well, what what are we lacking in terms of what we produce now? Okay. I'll, what needs to be brought in? And then think about practically I, how we're going to implement that. I wouldn't say lacking. What I would what I would look at isn't yeah. what we're lacking in, yeah. it's what our costs are high in. Yeah. Why the fuck are we paying the highest electricity prices in the world or one of the highest? Mm. When we produce the most coal, when we have the most uranium, mm. Right. We can bring all that shit in the house. Electricity should either be free or very minimal. We shouldn't be paying the top dollar that we do pay. Mm. That's one example of what I mean by bringing our shit back home. But in that example, then you'd be in favor of that stuff all being state-owned and government-run and subsidized no, not necessarily. and free. free. It, hold on. I can, I, can, I can own a mine and sell uranium to a private guy who wants to build a fucking nuclear reactor. It's gonna, I'm going to make less money. Mm. I get that, but it stays here. It's a, it's a safe supply. Uh, but I guess my point is the amount that we dig up from the ground mm-hmm. is so far in excess of what we actually need to good. service it our makes good. To, good, we can yeah. service our country for generations okay, and, but and not then, be dependent on anyone else. Then, we don't have to worry about wars. We, America wants to go to war. We say, America, fuck off. We don't okay, want to go. So then, we don't need it. So then if that becomes an unprofitable enterprise... It doesn't have to be extremely profitable that's example, the thing that's the thing that need, capitalism in a in a, everywhere needs to review how much is enough because mm. we've been obsessed globally for the last 20 years on growth and unlimited growth is unfucking sustainable and it bothers me even in my industry like i'm part of a franchise mm. and my fees go up every year that's unfucking sustainable and it's not fair right so, that model has to break yeah you can't just continue Increase in growth. Sometimes we have to just stop and be like, "This is enough." Mm. Mm. Yeah, it, well, I like, guess that's kind of happened organically now. Well, no, it's not. It's it's not what people want, though. No. What, I, what I'm talking about is that it's 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 an ethical discussion now. Mm. Yeah. How much do you actually need, right? Like, is a billion dollars profit then enough? He, for you? Here's an ethical discussion for yeah. you. So, it feels like okay, we've enjoyed a lot of growth in the last 20, 30 years. And it feels like, well, we could have done with 5 or 10% less. But if you look at what's happened across the whole world in the last 30 years, with markets being free and enterprise yeah. becoming more globalized and labor being more mobile globally, you've seen massive reductions in poverty across the, across mm. the world. So if you, do, you, do you think that would have not just happened organically? No. It's, it's through businesses being able to grow and offshore just, oper- just, just operate like, and, and create but employment just like, opportunities okay. and global supply chains. But just like people evolve, right? We've evolved. Like 50 years ago, we segregated people. We segregated communities. Mm. Okay? We evolved. Our awareness. Okay? You don't think we would have evolved to be like, hey, man, this is not the way to live. How about we help these people? Do you think we need the capitalism to evolve that part of us? Yeah, because I, I think... That's Capital- where growth comes. comes cap- cap- capitalism, I think, is about using. Fuck, I'm defending human. I- human are you defending I'm- socialism? 
I love capitalism, it's right? It's amazing because as a business owner, you'd be one of the first to, to lose out. Danny's defending socialism. Oh, my God. He needs to go and get another drink. No. It's by, genera- it's I'm it's not by defending socialism. No, but it's by generating more wealth that people can afford these extensive private personal training fees as well. Right? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's really complicated, it's isn't it? Yeah. And I think that's why, as a young person, I've just always, I've just let it go over my head. Like, yeah. I think more people... And people have been debating this for years. Yeah. And, and yeah. And, and no one ever agrees that be. you found the, the right balance. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, it does come back to a lot of ego stuff. And yeah. after seeing what we've gone through as a country, this I'm very proud now to actually be sure and to see what we've gone through, how... Like what I've loved about what I've seen is that our our governments, mm. federal and state, mostly minus the guy from Melbourne. What's his name? Andrew. What is, what's his name? You the guy from Melbourne. Daniel. Daniel. Yeah. Daniel. Whatever. Daniel yeah. Andrews. Whatever. <laughs> minus him, how they've worked together to mm. get through this. Yeah. Like they've done it differently. They've done it on their time frame, but they've worked together. Yeah. And the opposite of what we've seen in the states is that they've made it very political. Oh, I completely agree. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I, I'm very patriotic and what a, I've become very patriotic, I should say. Mm. I haven't always felt that way. And I guess I've seen our government particularly work so strong together to help us through this time. They've worked really fast. They've, they've, they've funded everything for us. Mm. A, lot of, a lot of stuff. Okay. Yes, no, it's no mean feat to get those payments no. out so quickly. No, no I completely and, agree. And to, and to see China come out and just make these threats, I'm just like, you know what? Fuck you. It's not even the, the, like, before the actual threat. And it's actually, I think what bothers me is what the reason for the threat. Like, all every country wants in the world is to just find out what happened, Mm. how it happened, and why. So that it doesn't happen again. Because the whole world has suffered from this one thing. And the fact, like, that's what bothers me. If if there's if this was just you know a hundred a thing that happened once every hundred years and it was innocent and you didn't know what was happening, why not investigate? Like why yeah. aren't they supportive of it? What what is it that you know? Why are they so defensive about it? Yeah. Well, it's you know? it's what and happened. then in turn to make the threat mm. is even more bothersome. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's what know? it's what communism does. Like you look at Russia and Chernobyl, mm. they were too scared to send up the chain. What was really going on? Mm. So because they're too scared to send up the chain and actually fix the problem, it mm. <laughs> it got worse. Swept under the rug, yeah. It, that And the thing is, with Chernobyl, anyway, that's a whole other issue, mm. but that's what happens in communism, is that information gets suppressed, no one knows anything, and shit, and shit gets out. Like, mm. But they're smart people. Like, they're not dumb. Like, they're not... Why don't they know that people would be averse to like oh china what are you hiding what are you hiding like i don't understand why they would choose and that's where to I, not support that and that's where i think i challenge right about the global economy i don't think china deserves to be part of it because of that yes right because we're talking about, uh, <laughs> there we're, you go right <laughs> we're talking about a global economy right and if that happened anywhere in, in, else in the world and uh, to be honest yeah, i think if it true. happened in, in america it would probably be very similar to china but would get the truth eventually right mm. Mm. If they, if they want to play in a global economy, they've got to play in it. Okay, but if that's what you think needs to happen, it's not Australia alone that can put their hand up 
and say this is well, what no, needs to happen. We've gone to the G20 and they've told them. But it's not just Australia. You, you, it's not you, just Australia. You need every other country to basically <laughs> yeah. come together well, to, that, to form Australia's that. Australia's been trying to get support for that and they have been getting support. Mm. I don't know, I feel that there's been just political points scoring both ways and mm. and I'm not... Well, of course I'm not, they would leverage it. I'm not here yeah. to defend any country or say one's better than the other. That's I, I bring that up because but, of our, like, mm. our debate about China. Yeah, no. And I guess... Through this process, it's allowed me to explain to you a, mm. a little bit better why I think fuck China. Yeah, and I think that but if you're trying to think about well, what's motive? So there's been politicians here that have come out and been quite aggressive in the way that they've pointed oh, yeah. the finger and said investigation needs to happen. Have they been aggressive? Some of them. So, have, so some of them yeah. have come and, yeah, and yeah, yeah. so by yeah. by saying hey, let's find out what happened. No, but it's it's the, the they've way they see see if this if this. They, I, I, hold on. Have, a, have Australian politicians made it personal? Or did China make it personal when they threatened our industries? And then the politicians went, well, well fuck you. But, but this is the whole blame game. But to me, yeah. at the end of the day, my cynical view is politicians will make statements like that, for their right? own yeah. point scoring and political gains. So people will say something here to rally this feeling in Australia of us and them. And, you know, yeah. what have you done to us? And give us answers, etc. But then obviously the government over there, they need to also make sure that they've got all their citizens feeling that their government's in control and has authority and won't be pushed around. So then they're also forced to come out and Good point. make political point scoring uh, statements. See, I disagree with you because they control their media in their country. Mm. So they can control what their people hear. So when, when but, they hear... Still, but they still need to say those things. They, they still... No, they don't. Not if they control the narrative in their, in their country. Well, they're they're saying those things because of we're talking directly to them. Well, I'm not sure information is so controlled over there that people over there wouldn't know that politicians in Australia have made these statements about... Yeah. What do you mean? You can't even get... Like, Google's monitored over there. Yeah, but you have, like, WeChat. People in Australia can still message yeah, but, people in China. But WeChat's monitored. Yeah, I mean, they're not a North Korea-type state where you can where it's truly cut off from... Uh, uh, you can't get Facebook know. or Instagram. Or any other, you can't get news. You can't access te- the Daily Telegraph. No, I, I can't. You can't. Don't, you can't. I don't know if that's true. You, or you not. can't access the Daily Telegraph in Australia, so you, they're not going to see our news. Oh, I don't know if they'd be. There's Facebook as well. There's there's Twitter. I don't know Facebook. This China. I don't, there's so many mediums of communication now. Yeah. I find it hard to believe that they're. And you can have yeah, but, your own VPN. Yeah, but again, VPNs are still very limited. Like, I'm sure the Chinese have some We're, we're just speculating here. We don't know that yeah. their information is so strongly controlled. Like a, like a North Korean-style state. <laughs> I think it is. It's a big call to cut out the second biggest country in the world from the global economy because... You, but they, what, need, they need some accountability, right? They need to uh, have some yeah. accountability. Look, you, you know what it is? You know, you know what bothers me about they do. how your, your line of thinking... Your line of thinking is probably very common in the financial industry because your job and you've seen your growth revolve around China. Mm. But China's growth does not fucking happen without countries like America, without countries like Australia. They don't get out of where they were in the 50s to where they are now without our, our minerals, our support, yeah, and our I, And I also argue our that the, and the rest of us don't generate our improved standard of living either. How do you know that either. though? Well, How do you know that though? I can't prove it to you, but... If we, start, if we started to map out how Australia would look, if we cut them out 
of our economy altogether and, and replace and, them with someone and else. truly try and i'm talking about, i'm talking about finding other trading partners i'm saying that we're still going to be diminished okay, i'm saying those trading partners will not have the same demand for our product I know that. I'm, in, in, I'm, in the same quantity and i'm prepared to cop that because we've already been smashed now but then the solution is to get smashed already, more mate america has 30, almost 30, 23 24 million unemployed in terms of their workforce, their workforce in America is high. Well, you know, the irony of what you're saying also is that the unemployment that we're having in Australia is hardly in the industries that have anything to do with export to China. Our mining industry is actually holding up really strongly at the yeah. moment. So is our that's agriculture. True. That's yeah, true. That is true. The only thing that's getting stung is um, where there would be a dependency would be our education, I think, education I, I, exports. I think for me, uh, I, yeah. I don't want to see any country make threats against our country, especially in a time now. Mm. Where they've fucked up, it's very obvious they've made a mistake, mm-hmm. and then they've got the opportunity to just move forward. But they're threatening, yeah, because you know their egos are hurt as well. Yep, mm-hmm. I get that, and I don't think we should allow ourselves to be susceptible. To I think that. the problem, yeah, that's all it is, man. I think the problem is. I agree with a lot of what you're saying. In those negotiations, rightly or wrongly, I think they have a bit more leverage in some of those mm. negotiations. And to your point, maybe we're better served. Having a broader range of but trading I, partners. But where I challenge you there about the leverage is that do they have the leverage or do we allow them to have the leverage? Because honestly, when it comes to food, I think, I think when it comes to sustainable food, they've got almost two billion people. They can't feed themselves. But I think they know where they've. They probably. They can't feed themselves. So if we say, hey, China, you know what? You're right. We don't want to send you any more beef. We don't want to send you any more barley. Yes, those industries restrict. No, no, but I think the, the reason they deliver. Feed yourselves now. But I feel like the reason they would deliberately pinpoint those two is because those are probably the ones where they don't depend just on us. Right. There's a lot of beef being produced in other parts of the world. That Australia's, US, Australia's beef industry yeah. is the most reliable in the world. Do you know yeah, that? I'm not going to just dispute that. I'm sure, it's out, I'm sure it's outstanding. I'm not saying the meat's better than America. Mm. I'm saying the, the, no, generally, the, the, probably the source is. Is, uh, is is one of the but I'm saying best supplies. If the... If they're looking at, say, a trade war and thinking, all right, what are the first two things I can try and throw some punches at Australia for? Maybe barley and beef is what they okay. decided. You know but what? My that's question that's more is, easily replaced. My question too is, is why are they throwing those punches? Yeah, I mean, I think there was some statements made from politicians here as well. I'm, no, I don't there was no with statements. It. Our, our leader, Scott Morrison, said we should look into why it happened. Yeah. Mm. Now, do you find that so unreasonable? No, I don't, but maybe... Right. That's that's. I, I think that's the crust of my issue. Yeah. Is that the thing is, he I... wasn't unreasonable. His words weren't uh, damning. His words weren't mean. It's like, hey, some shit happened. We need to find out why. Yep. No, don't disagree. There's no talk all. of reparations, like in America. Yeah. <laughs> We're not saying that. Mm. We want to know what the fuck happened and that's make sure it. it doesn't happen again. Yeah. yeah. Because this is not the first time uh, a coronavirus has come out of China. Yeah. We had, was it SARS as well? Yeah. Like, it's not the first time, man. I don't disagree with any of this stuff. I'm just saying. Moving forward, we need to be a bit more. The reality more. is, if if you are relying on one country to be your major buyer of your exports, then maybe you need to have a bit more tact in terms of how you make those statements. Or what channels you use. Maybe a better way is to try and... Oh my God. As... Oh my God. How much more tact can you do? Our Prime Minister wrote a letter to the G20. <laughs> and said, hey guys, I would like it if we got together and said, hey China, 
we need to investigate what the fuck happened to destroy the whole world. Are you saying that's that's what happened? That's what happened. He wrote a letter to. But the... there's also been a lot of statements in the media too. Whereas that's just politicians. Well, I'm man. just saying, if all countries come together and say, let's come up with a WHO. Global oh my god, don't even go into WHO. Okay, right. <laughs> Please, God, don't go into WHO. Assume that there's... Jesus. Assume there's a WHO that actually serves the purpose that it's supposed to. Yeah. And they come out with a... It policy, does serve the purpose and they come out with China. A, and they come out with a, a global pandemic investigation policy that says, regardless of what country yeah. it Sorry, originates from, they agree that these are the steps that will be taken to investigate yeah. any yeah. pandemic that happens in the future. And that way you make it less about, hey, you, that you, country over there, right, right, right. tell us what's going on and make it more, this is the framework that the whole world agrees would be the best approach. It's, it's, I don't think you can count on that because, because in January, they said, super, oh, it's fine. Coronavirus, trying to have it covered. Next minute. Who said that? The, 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 the WHO out. director. Trying, oh, yeah. trying to do a great job. They've got it sorted. Yeah, no, no I'll look well. I could agree massive question marks over them in, in the I last think, few months. I think a lot of questions need to be asked of China and they need to answer. Yeah. And yeah. they shouldn't be defensive and making threats. Mm. Yeah. Look, I know we're going to get you for another 15 minutes. Last question. Yeah. Let's talk about millennia, millennials. Um, I know you feel quite strongly about this situation and why... Well, I'm interested in your views on, on this as well. Well, you can lead me off. So, Because we're, we're in that unique yeah. position, right? Where we're, so, we're part of this generation as well. The statement that you sent me was, why millennials feel they have it so tough in the world today? And how their lives compared to previous generations? Um, have we been brought up too soft and entitled? Which is mm. a fair point, okay? Mm. Because I would agree with a, a lot of that statement. Yeah. Um, but I'm happy to take your lead on this one. Yeah. Well, this is just a perception I've had in the last three or four years where I just... And look, obviously a lot of my friends are part of this generation. I'm not out here just to bash us all and yeah. talk shit about us. But I do have this perception that we do tend to just complain more easily, get down on our luck, think that the, the odds of the world are stacked against us mm-hmm. or you know, our property ownership's become too hard and we've lost out versus previous generations. And we, we kind of subscribe to these sort of community group ideals rather than yeah. just taking the time just to invest in ourselves. I, I tell you what disappoints me about millennials because all that stuff that you're saying, like I'm listening and at first I agree, but then I think about my parents, right? My parents yeah. have worked really hard, mm. but I remember as a young child, my dad saying how hard things are, you know, money doesn't grow on trees. Mm. He had the same millennial mindset. Life is fucking shit and hard, mm. right? You got to make your own way. And where I think millennials are letting themselves down now is that when my parents were coming through, they didn't have as much information readily available to them. Yeah. So if the thing now, right, if you want to learn how to buy a fucking house, yeah. you don't need to see a, a boring broker if you don't want to. You mm. can go on YouTube and understand the process. Mm. So, But this is the double-edged sword because mm. I think now that we have information so readily available, mm. it makes us a bit less resilient because if we can't get the answer so quickly... I feel like we've lost the ability to persevere and knuckle down and critically think and solve yeah. problems. Yeah, I wouldn't say find. I feel like we give up a bit quicker than the previous generation. We do, but it's not necessarily looking for the answer. It's the follow through. It's the execution. Yeah, because I actually think it's a little bit different to you. I think because the answer is so readily available mm. that they want the real thing to be real too. So if I can find an answer about how to buy a house in seven minutes while watching a YouTube video but it takes me four years to save the money for exactly it. Exactly right. It doesn't re- resonate to me. Yeah. That's that's the challenge there, is that mm. we want 
two things we want things too immediately like i would love to be a multi-multi-millionaire mm. however i'm aware it's going to take someone like me who's not very educated it's going to take me years mm. i understand that process i think a lot of our generations are because you do that. you learn an appreciation for the grit and the journey yeah along the way yeah. And, and you're not so much this instant gratification generation I definitely that we see that. coming through yeah <laughs> Oh, my main concern is, for example, kids growing up mm. now. Yeah. The amount of stimulus and distraction and iPads. What's next? And what's next? It's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's always what's next. Even my own behavior. Remember yeah. back in the day where you listen to a, a CD and you'd listen to a whole album and you'd appreciate it. Even now, I'm Spotify, flick, flick, mm. flick. Netflix, one thing after the other after the other. I know. Even like when we watch Netflix, if we're starting something new, we give it the first. 10 mm. to 15 minutes. Yeah, if it's not good in the first 10 to 15 minutes, nah, yeah. not going to give it a go. That's it. We're done. Can I tell you how I think about that? I agree with you. I mm. think people are very... I I think Australians in general, I can only talk about Australia, even New Zealand because I live there as well. New Zealand is probably even worse than Australia, to be honest. Um, I find that we can be very apathetic mm. in terms of we just like, it's too hard. Mm. The government's fucking up, but it's too hard to complain. Mm. You know, like we all we all get on on Twitter and complain, but no one actually does anything about it. Exactly. You know, mm. um, we're all very very comfortable. But I see the flip side of that. So rather than seeing that as a as a negative, because I'm aware of that and I know who I am and I know what me and my wife want to do, I see there's an opportunity. Mm. Because we all live in a life where we we think resources are so limited, mm. but with so many people thinking so poorly. It allows people like you, myself, Jade, PK, mm. the opportunity to actually capitalize on the opportunities that are out there. Mm. And I feel like our job now is to be informed and to be in a position where we can take those opportunities. Mm. You know, I wish I was in a better situation right now financially to capitalize on all this market shit. Like, you you took advantage of some of this stuff, didn't you? Like, when the market dropped, what did you do, right? Did you, mm. did you cry and... <laughs> no, you... I'm not going to go into too much of what I did, but... People in your industry, did they, people in your industry, did they cry and complain? Or did they look for an opportunity in this? What did mm. they do? Well, I mean, I can't speak on behalf of them, but... I mean, but people not industry, like people that are, are stockbrokers work in the markets, when everything crashed, yes, their, their portfolio and their investors would have been sad, but those people would have been rubbing their fucking hands, being, ooh, we're going to pick up some bargains now. Yeah, I mean, historically speaking, anytime you have major market events like this... Mm. It does create opportunities Jeez. for people. Yeah. There was a when the market crashed in nineteen eighty seven. Mm-hmm. I think it was eighty seven. Ninety three. A lot well. of the a lot of the baby baby boomer generation. Mm-hmm. The our parents or even the generation before them mm-hmm. would have acquired a lot of stock during that time and gained a lot of wealth. And that's an opposite time. of that. My parents had a business during the during the last recession in ninety three, was it or ninety one? Mm-hmm. And like they lost everything. Yeah, they lost everything. So mm-hmm. I've seen the opposite of that as well. Mm-hmm. But in, in these kind of times, there's also a shitload of opportunity. Mm. And I think... Well, I mean, just what you've just said in the last five, ten minutes, it just shows that you come across as someone that, no matter what's happening, you'll see the glasses half full and think mm. about, well, what can I do next in terms yeah. of self-improvement, self-development, get my own house in order. Yeah. But do you think, like, with the what's next, what's next, what's next mentality, because I think I have a bit of that as well. Um... Like for me, um, you know, graduating university, 
I didn't want to take a gap year. I was mm. like, on to the next thing because mm. I want that wealth. I want to be financially secure. Mm. So I was constantly, what's next, what's next? Even when I secured my first job, I was like, all right, within my first year, I need a promotion. You but know, you know I, you're I, the exception to that. Yeah, but I'm saying, is that is that what's next mentality such a bad thing? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, it's, if you're actually being proactive about it, like you said, so, what's next, but you went and got a job. Most people come out of uni and say, hey, I'm a lawyer now. Employ me. I'm mm. here. Mm. They don't actually go chase it. They don't go work as an intern. They don't go do the work experience to get their foot in the door. Yeah, because to do all those things you described, you still need persistence and resilience and all those mm. sort of qualities. Desire, hunger. Whereas I'm mm. talking about people growing up now who, if the answer is not readily available straight away, they That's get disheartened it. and give up. Right. And then, you know, I'm going to try something else now. I'm no good at that. Yeah. Mm. Well, it, I... It's not necessarily the answer. If they don't get the result straight away, that's when they get disheartened. Mm. You know? Yeah. Like, I want this job. I don't know how to get it. Fuck it. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to send a link. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, they just... We're very yeah. quick um, to, to give up in that sense. Mm. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, there's yeah. a whole journey that needs to be yeah. undertaken. Yeah. And I feel like... Uh, I don't want to... You know, describe the whole generation and group them all together as this. They're not. But I feel like there's this feeling of when that maybe the odds are stacked against us, and when those times happen, our coping mentality is to just form part of this collective group that says, Mm. "Oh, you know, the baby boomers—they're taking advantage of us, and we're disadvantaged compared to them." Do you think that's always happened, though? Yeah, actually, to your point, I think every generation. Like I'm asking the question. Mm. Like I'm not sure. Mm. I just know. Like, my parents have worked very hard to do what they do, but I know as a kid, my dad complained a fuckload and was miserable. <laughs> mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I had the same upbringing in terms of parents being very clear in terms yeah. of what the value of a dollar is, how hard it is to earn money, yeah. put food on the table, etc. But I don't think I saw that generation have as much of a mentality of thinking, oh, I've got it worse than the generation before me. I think they had a bit more... Yeah, acknowledgement we, of the fact that we seem, we that seem, our, our lives have actually improved a lot we, from our we seem very defeated, previous generation we? and the generation before. We look at how much our generation values going on overseas holidays. I saw some stat in 2014. The number of people in the age gra- age bracket of 25 to 35, they travelled. There was more travellers in that age bracket than there were entire travellers back in the year 1990. Full stop. Wow. So just that one demographic is flying more than wow. the entire world was. Well, that's like my dad didn't get a plane, didn't get on a plane until he was thirty-five years of age. Exactly, and it was to the Gold Coast. There's so many people my age. Yeah, that but we're, we're, we're traveling to new yeah. destinations, not just once a year, maybe twice, twice a year. We're going overseas. But that's that's hundred percent an Australian thing. We're trying the best restaurants. We're we've bought for choice as consumers. Yeah, we're enjoying this fairly. I have lavish lifestyle. We have to do this again because we have, we have communication and media thrown at us from all right. different angles. We've we have to do this again because we didn't even get into the conspiracies of coronavirus. <laughs> I, I've got so many conspiracies. <laughs> do you have conspiracies, right? If you bring me on for that one, then I'll have to do it anonymously. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll have to change your can, voice. Can we, yeah. do that, can we do that again? Can you be one of those deep voices that they do when they're... Yeah, like, totally. Of course. <laughs> I've got so many conspiracies about... Because when this first kicked off, like, we've only got a few minutes left. But when this first kicked off, do you remember what I said to you? Mm, vaguely. When the markets were dropping, I was like, <laughs> this is big. This is, 
very calculated, and I think this is happening on purpose. Mm. Do you remember that? I do remember that. And yeah. you were like, no, nah, no, nah, man, it's just the correction is going to drop and it's going to come back up. <laughs> do you remember? Well, look, I, I no longer am convinced that the market's guaranteed to come back straight away yeah. or I can't give you a time frame. In the long run, long run, I do think of course. recoveries occur and yeah. markets rebound. I'm not giving any investment advice to, no. to do anything. But you made it sound like this was all a deliberate ploy i think it was if you look and at there's oh, some there's some secret oh, before i finish there's this one government above if, that, the illuminati if i've got a, i've got a paper right here i'll show you if you look at all, a lot of the financial stats from 2018 all all sectors were dropping mm. i think this was due to happen and i think someone them they potentially no, may have triggered this to to happen a lot faster all right well that can be Episode number one. Yeah, so we need to figure out who is this them or they that you're referring yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. And then the next thing is, <laughs> if there is this them or they... Don't stop it yet. Okay. If there is this them or they, the last thing you'd want them to know is that you've got a podcast where you're talking badly about yeah. them. <laughs> I'm not talking badly <laughs> about them. It would be very powerful. I, I, I think... If they, they can manufacture a virus, they wait. can find out where you live too. <laughs> I'm going to ask you. I've got so many things to ask you. Fire out. We'll have to do it again. No, wait, wait. We've got time. I've got him for another six minutes. Uh, cryptocurrencies. We'll have to, we'll have to get PK on the next one too. Hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. Cryptocurrencies. Yes or no? Uh, look, if you've got a little bit of capital to dabble with, and so do you, and ha- you know, disposable it, income. Yeah, I mean, so you. There's, there's a few arguments floating around at the moment that are maybe when the world is in this crazy volatility that maybe there's a store of value in in Bitcoin. So you I'm think not, we'll always have. US dollars, Aussie dollars, you think how status quo is going to remain? Yeah. I would, I don't, look, I would bet that for the rest of our lives, we're not going to see our regular currencies yeah, replaced. of course. Because to operate the economy as it currently stands, and you need central banks that control the supply of a certain type of currency that can easily flow through mm. an economy and be traded. But, but and, do you? Well, <laughs> that topic goes well over my head. This is where we should have started. We need to get a crypto expert in. Uh, look, I think the blockchain technology... Do you know any? The actual technology behind crypto, I yeah. don't understand it too well, but yeah. it'll have a lot of practical usages to mm. our lives and the transmission of information. That'll be really positive. The actual currency itself, I'm not sure that we actually mm. get any value from it. Well, I think I told you, when people take these bets on Bitcoin... Why is it that they're always checking what Bitcoin's worth against the US dollar? Because if they re- if they think about a future where it, the US dollar doesn't exist it anymore, matter. then it shouldn't matter mm-hmm. as much, right? right? They should be thinking in terms of well, what what will this Bitcoin bring me in terms of? Yeah. Um, I saw I saw one of the big firms. But every, everyone wants to. One of my point is that everyone is thinking that eventually I'm just going to cash that Bitcoin back into dollars. Yeah. Is it better? That's to, how I'm going to make money. Is it better to yeah. think of Bitcoin simply as a share as opposed to a currency? Or maybe just another type of currency. It definitely has the characteristics of a, of a currency more yeah. than... Yeah. 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 Almost you, if, it, if there was a country called Bitcoin, it would be like the Bitcoin... It's, it's not a share in that. When you own a Bitcoin, you don't actually own a equity in any sort of business mm. that generates profitability. You've got something well, that... one Bitcoin is like $15,000. Mm. So you, many of us probably can't even buy one. 
No, but you can buy point zero. Yeah. yeah, the thing yeah. you can add as many decimal points as yeah. you as you want. It's a bit of a murky world, all that crypto stuff. Uh, I can't claim to understand it. That's what it. we need to get into. Yeah. Today, a, today was a good intro into you, right? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. And about how murky the banking world is. That, I, I was trying to actually shed some positive light on us, but anyway. <laughs> no, you did. I think no, um, <laughs> I think you explained how the industry works. You, yeah. I, I learned about how bonds work. Like, I didn't really understand bonds. Mm. So bonds is the issuing of, like... Like sharing what your future plans are, people want to invest back into your company. Except, don't think so much about the future plans. Just think in terms of investment. It's a, it's a way of borrow, um, raising debt. Yeah, raising debt. Yeah, okay. raising debt in a tradable security. Mm. That that's all a bond really is. It's actually a really simple type of. Does, P, does PK like talking about this shit as well? Uh, I'd say the bond market not so much, but because as I, I should said, have had it on. Why as I said, it's not really open to retail investors, but she's yeah. pretty. Interested let's, in, in um, let's get PK here. She next likes week. following small cap companies and oh, okay. See, in the role I'm in, mean, I'm actually I'm not allowed to actually trade yeah. individual company stocks. Yeah. Well, I need certain approvals yeah. in place. Um, whereas PK is more interested in in looking at you know small little small yeah. small capitalized. Can we get PK here stocks. soon? Yeah. <laughs> let's get her on. But with her, make sure you talk about marketing, digital marketing, and, and all that sort 100%. of stuff. It's been a great time. Done. Done. Outstanding. Thank Excellent. you so much. Thank you for having me, guys. It's been a pleasure.